Welcome to the Dog Zone 9000, the official podcast of 1900 Hot Dog, America's last comedy website. Fucking text and images. We're still doing it. It's amazing. They I still exist. The job. <laughs> it's crazy that we're still holding out. Uh, nobody does this anymore. We're your only option. We're the only game in town, baby. We won't go video. <laughs> Find us on TikTok. God damn it. We're going to go video soon, I'm sure. Uh, I'm generic karate man, Robert Brockway, and with me is my comedy partner and unspecified ninja, Sean Baby. I love this title. Unspecified ninja is the role you were born to play. It means you're a good ninja. (laughs) That's true. And our guest, the wrestling mayor, Rusty Shackles. Gentlemen, how are you? It's been, thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. We had no choice. We had no choice because you <laughs> you introduced uh, our topic to me. But before we get to that, which is going to take, I want to say, 30 hours of our lives. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Rusty? Um, well, so actually, I can say I we recently released the uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 Digest uh, for the uh, the, guy, the Bride of Retro Horror. It's a book about Retro Horror, and I did the cover for it. Retro Horror video games, I should say. Um, and other than that, uh, I you might find me online. You might not. Well, you know, who knows what happens when this episode comes out? But you'll find my stuff all over the internet. I'm, I'm out there. Just Google me. You'll find me or a band from Brit- Britain. I, and I'm not. The, I have no musical ability, so I'm, I'm not. The- <laughs> that is a no. good point about our plugs. Uh, everything has to be prefaced now with, I'm not sure which one of these will right. exist or which <laughs> right. one I'll be on. Fucking come find me. I'll be on. I'll be standing alone on a sinking island somewhere. We're marified on Mastodon. (laughs) So your cover featured uh, Night Trap, which was I thought was very cool because I called that one of the worst games of all time, and I felt very confident about that. But like (laughs) no one uh, in the current age we live in agrees. Like that sort of had this renaissance of people saying, "Hey, that Night Trap game was really innovative and fun," Uh, but. To explain to the listeners, because no one played that fucking game, it was like a, a full motion video game on the, I think, a Sega CD, uh, featuring uh, the girl from Different Strokes, and it was kind of adult, like they were in their nineties, like they were trying to like do Cinemax style like uh, eroticism, and you sort of played the part of a, I guess like a command center operator, and you were controlling like the traps in a house to keep these teen girls from getting murdered. And uh, it, it, most of the time, you're just watching nothing. You're like, oh, empty room, empty room. Oh, shadowy stranger. And then you'd like try to find a trap to kill him. Usually didn't work. Uh, so basically, you're memorizing eight minutes of a terrible movie. And uh, that's the game. And so I think I was right in saying it's terrible. But again, it's uh, people came around on it. Well, as, as, as it was released, I, I, I would I would 100 percent agree. So but like the, they've made improvements over the last few years where you can actually see every room's video uh, okay. at the same time so it's much more playable and, and it, it's also you gotta think too there's a generation who's grown up with five nights at freddy's and basically that's the pre- uh, the, the the grandparent of, I, I see yeah or I that's, that that's a grandson of, of night trap but i should mention too that you were at, you were saying that you were like playing a member of a team you actually take on a, a the, the team that you're part of is called scat right which is the sega control attack team not to be confused with you know the other scat right or the, or the other scat. <laughs> the, 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 the very you get a lot of poop on me. The only other kind of scat. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my, my kid loves the game. And actually, he, uh, he, he, was, he always talks about it at school. And he had one of his friends over. And they were watching 
some of the scenes and so they they auger walk like it's become this thing where they act like the augers in the video game. I'm like, please stop this. I don't want this anymore. You know, this is, that's, this is getting weird. So. That's pretty excellent. <laughs> the enduring legacy of Night Trap. Weirdly enough, I have a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about. Streets of Fire. Uh, my segue is, has, have any of you seen, either of you seen Streets of Fire 2? Have, have you not. even tried? I have not. No. Don't. Oh my God. <laughs> We're going to talk about Streets of Fire, which fucking rules, which is one of the yes. best movies ever made. And what an incredible movie. Unironic. Yes. And sometimes ironic. It's sometimes ironic. Amazing. It's every form of enjoyment all at once. And there's a great hook that we're, we've got into it. But then I tried to revisit. I remember I, I watched Streets of Fire 2 way more recently than the last time I've watched Streets of Fire. So I probably 2010 or so. So I remember it being terrible. But it is very much like a like a deep sequel to Night Trap. It is just it looks like <laughs> it looks like an FMV game and has all the like production quality and direction of an old Sega CD FMV game. <laughs> Only they're also kind of pretentious about art. It's like the worst the worst way to be, especially now, coming from from Streets of Fire to have the audacity to ruin it in that specific way. <laughs> Was it Casper Van Dien? As the uh, Michael Pare role? No, it was Michael Pare. <laughs> it's, it's wow. Unfortunate, unfortunately. Road to Hell, it looks like. It was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's. Uh, I tried to revisit it again just for this podcast. I was literally being paid to do it. This is my job. Uh, I could not do it. I just couldn't do it. I got through the intro and I skipped ahead and I'm like, oh my God, they're still doing this. I saw a YouTube video of the song that they end Streets of Fire with and it was a different band covering it and Michael Pare was like up against the stage crying. Is that from that movie? I think that's from that movie. I oh, think wow. they, yeah, they they take some of the, I don't think they get the rights to the music, but they definitely, <laughs> they definitely take some of it back. Oh, but let's okay. talk about the good Streets of Fire first. That's not about okay. that. Streets of Fire, 1984, action. Uh, they kind of bill it as a rock opera. I, I don't know that it goes full rock opera. I don't know. I that think I'd there's say three that. full music videos, uh, yeah. which is, I think that makes it count. I think that's like Last Dragon level of stop the movie for music video. I was just, it kind of feels like if you could, if you've never seen the movie and you should, by all means, watch it right now, stop the podcast, come back after you've watched it. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere tonally between The Warriors and Little Shop of Horror and yeah. Sin City. Like it's a weird combination of those three films. Um, I feel like there's a, a bit of noir in it. Like the, yeah, the dialogue yeah. is real snappy, like a like a '60s movie. Oh yeah, I, I, young Frank Miller was just taking notes, watching it the whole time. Yeah. It, it has that kind of like Mickey Spillane, but '80s. Yeah, you can see very clearly like whose lives were just completely ruined by this movie. Like they watch this <laughs> and then they're like spending the rest of their life trying to chase it and remake this somehow else because it just. It, was just like, yes, this is what life should be. <laughs> it, uh, I can see if, if this caught you on the right like part of your life, like this would be the coolest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It absolutely was. And uh, that Hill actually, Walter Hill, director and, and writer, he wrote this one too, I believe. Uh, he literally followed that as, as his guideline. He says, uh, somebody once asked him why he made this movie. And he said... Uh, I wanted to put all the things I thought were great in, in one movie, like yeah. fucking sweet cars and make it out in the rain and neon and fucking trains and chases and, and rock and roll and just leather jackets. And they were it like, really oh, is okay. like an artist, like at the peak of their talent and ambition, like making their dream movie. 
This and is like the positive version of the negative underground comedy movie. Like, yes. it's like the, it balances out the universe in some way. <laughs> and yeah, he like got... he's a visionary genius. Like Walter yeah. Hill has made several of my favorite movies. Yeah. And like, this is him at just like full art mode, like just passion project. <laughs> this is the coolest fucking thing I'll ever make. And uh, it did, it flopped hard. Like, I think this lost seven or $8 million in the theaters, but. Uh, Which is just, it's incredible. What like they, they also gave it. I, I agree that they probably shouldn't have given it as much money as they had, which we'll get into. <laughs> but uh, it, it should have made all the money in the world, especially the lasting influence it seems to have on pop culture. Like it changed so much after this. Yeah, it's just I fucking I love Walter Hill. I love Walter <laughs> Hill. The more I found out about him, I went to read. Walter Hill made the best Yojimbo remake. It's one of the most remade movies of all time. He made The Last Man Standing oh, with yeah. Christopher Walken and Bruce Willis, and it's just. It's so fucking cool. Well, what's interesting too is I think that like with with a lot of his properties that he's done, right? Particularly this, The Warriors, and like I said, Last Man Standing. A lot of these feel like they could have been made in, or they could have been set in any time period. Yeah. If you made this as a samurai movie, totally works. If you made this Absolutely. as a western, totally works. Make it a, a, a futuristic movie, maybe. I, it was lightsabers, I guess. I don't know. I'd argue but, it kind of was. It kind of was. It was definitely <laughs> like not. It was an alternate timeline for sure. This was not. Yeah, this was full eighties and full fifties, and yeah. they went. The set designer and the costume designer like maxed that out. They're like every character is like I'm from the fifties or I'm from the eighties, and then they would just mix them up and throw them into a scene together. The set yeah. designs too was just it is implacable. Yeah. It's in its own universe. It is removed from time. So maybe it is a futuristic tale. <laughs> yeah, Talk it's definitely that. like an alternate universe. Like it's it's kind of weird. Like the tech is really low. Like he has these photos that are clearly like 1920s photos of his old babe. And uh <laughs> and the cars are all fifties. Uh but the guns are like very modern eighties guns. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Batman animated series, uh, rest yeah. in peace, Kevin Conroy. But like the the like you know where it was very like they had modern inventions, they had computers, but they also had blimps. Yeah, like, very right. much so. Like I yeah. again, I think maybe that's somebody who had their life ruined by this movie had had gone on to be like <laughs> a designer on Batman the animated series. It definitely is right. just like I I need to make that movie. It needs to be me that did that. I need to backwards <laughs> through time make Streets of Fire. Yeah, and every scene you watch it, you're like, this is so fucking cool. Why don't more movies do this? And then you're like, oh, right, because it lost so much Because it lost money. so much money. Because it will fail. <laughs> I don't think it needed to lose that much money. I don't think it needed to have as much money as it did because it had a lot of money. And it went, I believe, double over budget. So they, no. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite story about that is the, is the tarp. They... they the movie, it looks gorgeous. I, I think it was probably the correct move, every single move they did to come together with this. But they had this fucking set that they built. This entire you know town, this sort of Manhattan Bronx that never existed area called the Battery. And they built it on the Universal lot. And then because they wanted it to be like a specific kind of nighttime, you know, like a noir throughout the whole thing, they mm-hmm. built a tarp to go over this entire multi-block set. And the tarp alone cost back then in 1984 dollars, 1.2 million dollars to build the tarp. <laughs> wow! Somebody's that's a tarp, tarp grifter. <laughs> yeah, that's almost I four million dollars in today's money. A you four have million dollars. Corrupt dollar. guy in your tarp to bank chain. I think somebody in there <laughs> might have run off with eight hundred eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And it, it was such a bad, it was a bad idea, objectively. It, it worked to make this movie, so I can't say it was, it was the wrong choice, but they said that <laughs> the sound of the tarp, like flapping in the wind, the sound of this massive multi-block tarp, was just booming like thunder and it fucked with all of their, their dialogue and audio. So they had to do the like $2 everything. million dollar tarp. <laughs> plus, like, your tarp. Come on, Walter. plus they had like birds nesting in it. So they were getting shit on all the time. It's just, it's amazing. This movie came out of it with decisions like that. That's one of the, the best things, but it's all fucking Walter Hill. He just gets, he's like, no, we're going to tarp this bitch. And what are you going to do? Argue? Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> he made 48 hours. Give him money. Do yeah. He's got money. like a, a reputation of being like kind of a hard ass tough guy too. Like, so I guess, I guess he'd kick your ass if you brought up the tarp. <laughs> he showed, he showed up to this movie with his own custom made director's chair that said lone wolf on the back. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't know it was like that. I was like, your reputation tough guy. Brockway's like, no, this fucker's chair said lone wolf. He's like Sam Peckinpah. Out of the way, pussy. Jesus I'll Christ. show you how it's done. He just shows up, spurs jangling. Fucking you get the hell out of Walter Hill's way. God, he was amazing. I'd have to fight him. If you sat in front of me with a chair that said lone wolf, I'd say, you're the man who will kill me. Or die trying. There can't be two of us. That's sort of the theme of this movie is that like, fuck all this. Let's fight to the death. (laughs) You know, I, I, I I love it. Well, and I I was say, I, I, you know, I figure we're, I'm not sure if we're going to like go through the movie chronologically or. or Absolutely. We are. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's a movie podcast, so I should say this movie's bonkers and do the whole thing. But the, uh, I, I think that like not going too far into it already, but like, if you've ever seen Walter Hill intro a movie, Understand that Walter Hill knows how to make an entry like a motherfucker. Yeah. Like, it's just it's the pacing, the music, the speed of it. It's just like, God, this is so good. Yeah. Like, it's just like the Warriors. With, the, just- uh, with like the concert. Yeah. And it's just like, God, I mean, it, it has like the cuts of a music video. Like, like when she spins, the camera spins and like Willem Dafoe comes in in the shadows and you don't yeah. see his face for like half the song. And, uh, Finally, it shows his face and you're like, oh, shit, this guy is evil. And then uh, Diane Lane's like, yeah. And Willem Dafoe's like, no. And then he just <laughs> stage and takes the lead singer. And that's the fucking plan. They're just like, grab the lead singer, cause mayhem, and we leave. It's just the most smash and grab fucking <laughs> like I human mean- kidnapping. I know, I know it's famous for influencing Final Fight more, but I almost like if you could pause the movie there and start playing the Double Dragon intro. Yes. Because he, just he slings her over intro. his shoulder and carries her off. And it's like, yep. bump, 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 bump. You just, it's <laughs> so well done. Like that intro in its entirely, in its entirety, could be the start to any really good beat em up game. Like you can, yeah, it, the sure. way it's structured, there's very little dialogue that it, that could absolutely just be in a in a text bubble. The way it's like cut back and forth, it's it's so economical that like tells you everything you need to know without telling you a single thing. And then you just hit start. Like now, now it is time <laughs> to fight. They even bring in Tom Cody, who's the the lead badass. Where we're going to choose as our character in this beat em up game, but with just like a telegram and words typing over it. And it's like yep. very, it's very beat em up game. And Time I summon Tom Cody. <laughs> it is absolutely. Tom Cody, your ex-girlfriend was kidnapped by Raven. 
Are you a bad enough dude to come back to your high school town? <laughs> no joke. That's got to be more words than they used in the letter to summon 100%. Tom Cody. They were just like, Tom Cody, some troubles here. Uh, come kick some ass, buddy. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and they superimpose all that with shots of him on a train. Like, I'm already on my way. Like, I, I saw that I got a letter and I'm here to kick ass. And I'm going to read the letter along the way to kick ass. And if I could say something to appease the contemporary audience, uh, this is the original Save Martha. You think about it because it's uh, Diane oh, Lane, who was right. Uh, there she you go, Martha Kent. Yeah, she she crossed. It's it's funny too because when you watch her here, she's a very beautiful young woman, and now she's Martha Kent. So there's like a point in time where you cross the line from being Superman's love interest to being Superman's mom. Oh, that happened to Annette O'Toole as well, who was uh, Lana Lang in Superman Three. Then All she respect, played... you still wouldn't hit it. Come on, oh, come on, Rusty. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd hit anybody that was Superman's mom just to say. <laughs> because you need that ammunition if Superman ever comes calling. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to say, like, I identify a hole. On, on you think it's so bad, Superman? Well, I punched your mom. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> okay, <laughs> streets of fire. We're getting back on track. So Tom shows up, and he comes to the diner where, like, uh, like one of the lower level gangs, like the greaser, like poker gang, is there, and they're like terrorizing the diner. And Tom like just beats the shit out of the main guy. He pulls like a butterfly knife, and Tom like slaps him in the face and takes his knife, does a little butterfly thing, hands it back to him, and repeats it. And slaps him in the, the face cannon. like 18 times. It's not a single slap in the face. It's it's just <laughs> rapid yeah. cuts of him getting the shit slapped out <laughs> of him. giving him like a Thai massage. Butterfly knife flipping, that was like quite the art of the 80s too. So oh, that's sure. another thing that perfectly ties into the 84 here. Yeah, yeah it's totally is, a 50s gang, but they got the 80s butterfly knife. The Roadmasters. Like they, you can't tell me this is not a beat-em-up right. game. Some beat-em-up game just lifted them and their little like card jackets Mm-hmm. directly from this movie and put them in there and it's like that's that's it well, this is this ruined us we have to we're trying to make it in game form i don't know got the got the streets of fire brain poison <laughs> i think it was also nice too that he uh allowed deborah van valkenberg to not look like a dumpster cigarette um yes. as she did in the warriors she no right. longer looks like she smells like trash and i was like <laughs> this is great she looks like a young like, kind of like lisa bonet vibes and she's very like for sure. It's a, it's a 180 turn from where, from where I saw her last in Mulder Hill. But I do love that moment in Warriors when, like, they see the people out for prom and she kind of yeah. tries to doll herself up and Swan's like, no, 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 you're not like them. You're a full-on gross dirtbag. You're, so a, you're a pile of shit. You've got to know it by now. <laughs> yeah, come on. Don't cover it up. It's the way I like it. Just a burnt-out cigarette of a girl. Baby, baby, baby. What happens when you dress up a pile of shit? <laughs> it's still a pile of shit you know that right you know yeah come on you know that i did think it was funny too and it was kind of like i'm sure they had a fun time in the writing room when i know it was like there's a shot after around the diner time where he's looking at the concert poster and the mm-hmm. concert poster is called it's it, her band is called eileen and the attackers and yeah. i was like that's a sensible chuckle right there because you know it was eileen and her attackers yeah oh yeah see i didn't get that ah whole little Nice. There's fucking Easter eggs in this movie too. Yes. <laughs> it's got ever. It's got four million dollar tarps. It's got bird shit. It's got Easter eggs. <laughs> Every actor. Yes. Uh, so okay. So so Tom beats the shit out of the whole gang with a coat rack, as if like it's just a given. Like he it, he doesn't even consider for a second not doing this. 
And he throws each of them through like the most unbroken part of the windows, which I loved. He's like, I'm going to break every inch of your windows. <laughs> and uh, it's still the credits. Like it's, it's yeah. like 16 amazing. minutes in is when the credits yeah. stop. It's wild. I will say that when they steal Eileen, when the, when the gang comes in and first steals her, she does this like this motion, this, this punching and kicking with her feet motion as she's slung over a guy's shoulder that I swear to God, I've seen in video games countless times. Like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. they took that from there, from this movie. They took that animation directly. And him, him with his, with his coat rack even is just, yeah. he found a weapon. He found a weapon to use. Picked Being it up. Someone with a coat rack is like some like sitcom mom, something like she's like, Oh, let me go get the coat rack. And the audience is like, Oh, it's like, <laughs> but Tom Cody lives it. He doesn't just think about it. He does it. He does it. Hey, and it's, Rusty, what's that uh, Capcom game? 64th street. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, that's a SNK one, SNK. Uh, but that's like Tom Cody's wardrobe. I think is from that. Yeah, I, th- I would. Yeah, good call on that one. Yeah, you uh, can, 64th yeah. Street, a detective story. Right, that's the name of it. But this thing, God, it just got it got seeded into pop culture in such a way that it, it, that things people didn't even need to see this movie. I believe that some people who are writing years later this exact movie were inspired by people who were inspired, who were inspired by it. Like it yeah. just drifted down through the levels. And so you don't even know why this is cool that you're doing it. Why this guy has to dress <laughs> like that. But you're like, yeah, that's fucking cool. We all know well, that now. Early, since we're still early in this, like, I don't know if this is like something that like, if, if you've seen the movie poster for it, the standard uh, illustrated theatrical poster. Um, it, I, I think some of, I know talking to a couple nineties comics fans, but the style of it is very much like Mark Texiera who did ghostwriter in the nineties and did like the, when black Panther relaunched in their Marvel Knights, like I always thought it was Mark Texier. Like that's the style of the artwork is another Mm -hmm. thing. I'm like, that's something I've actually seen. I think people picked up influence from that poster as well. It's the most influential movie. That's what we're trying to prove here today. (laughs) I think we already have. uh, So good job. This is our best. (laughs) We don't have this much substance in the dog zone. (laughs) The cast was amazing too. We mentioned Willem Dafoe, who is in this movie as a young man. As he's still completely terrifying, but he's also kind of beautiful back then. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and they film him just like smooth he's smooth, baby Willem Dafoe. Yeah, like he, he looks like what a creature, right? He's just yeah, he's yeah. very smooth and you know, he looks like a, if, like if like Dracula was a greaser. Yeah, very yeah, much sure. so, yeah. Which makes and, me think I'm like, man, I would love a Castlevania set in the 1950s, but that's another story. So. <laughs> but he does look like he's 20 years old, but he has like the eyes of an ancient Dracula. Yeah, yes. yeah. He's always had. He's got the exact same eyes. It's it's Willem Dafoe eyes, and he has always had them. They never aged. <laughs> he's a 500 year old teenager. He would have been a five year old kid with those exact eyes, same size and everything. Just yeah, just leering at you and licking his lips. It's also and there was got, no dentist in his town. That's just, that's the same. That's, that's the unfortunate. But it also helps. He's never fixed it. God, God love him. If I saw Willem Dafoe as a five-year-old, I would call the police. I don't know. I don't know what's here, but you need to come now. You would, you would know that the cops couldn't help you. Like this this is, this is like turn to God. Something, something more powerful than me needs to defeat this 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 town. Sorry, fella. I can't help you. That's the other theme of this movie is the cops are just fucking pointless. <laughs> Utterly, yeah. They, but you know what's refreshing about this is we had this, you know, throughout the 80s, throughout the 90s. Cops were fucking pointless. That's why you yeah. got to turn in your badge and go rogue. 
<laughs> but yeah, they cool. the cops in this movie acknowledge at every turn that they're completely fucking useless yes and are very sorry about it <laughs> I, don't, I don't know man i can there's nothing i can do i know he's breaking the law but uh, i'm a coward i'm scared of it what am i gonna say <laughs> the cops do actually uh really blow it when these guys rush on stage take a woman in plain view of everybody uh and then they just like drive away on their on their bikes like two cop cars get destroyed in this like hilariously like they just don't do anything they just show up and one of them the with the two two cops we actually follow later in the movie like they just hit a garbage can and flip their car over in the chaos that's their entrance they didn't come in and do something and then flip a car they flipped a car and you're like oh cops are here <laughs> just skid into the scene <laughs> having already failed Bill oh, yeah. Paxton has already made an appearance. We didn't mention yes. it. He he grabs one of the guys in the process of the kidnapping. And instead of like punching him or detaining him, he goes, hey, I don't want any trouble. And just gets blasted in the face. Which, <laughs> which is really his fun. theme for the movie. Yes. He gets blasted in the face. Bill Paxton as as Clyde the bartender yes. and his fucking Pussy truly, truly excellent pompadour. Gets yeah. his gets his Chekhov's punch in the face out of the way because he's gonna he gets punched in the face at the start and you know it's gonna come in handy later when he just keeps getting punched in the face. Yeah, they call it back. So yeah, they take off. They take off with Ellen Aim, who is is Tom Cody's ex girlfriend and uh, and now a, a big star singing singing meatloaf songs just a, <laughs> a powerful woman singing meatloaf songs which is all well, yeah, I thought, it's weird too i think the first time I, I saw the movie i felt like i thought it was ironic that the song called we're going nowhere fast goes on forever yeah. um and like <laughs> it's weird because like the last like I, I i'm not musically inclined but like the last two like sections of the movie is just her saying godspeed over and over and then oh 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 and it, it, it goes on for like a minute like um, I hope this doesn't ruffle any feathers, but the song ends worse than Outcast Bob, where it's like the first two minutes, awesome, I'm having a great time. Last minute, I'm like, okay, I get it, let's wrap it up. See, I disagree yeah. incredibly hard, because this is Jim Steinman, <laughs> who did write all of Meatloaf's songs oh, and a lot of Bonnie Tyler's, and uh, this is what he does. He writes 20-minute songs that just, <laughs> that climax 18 times, that just... <laughs> But That's just funny because I didn't even I didn't even know that. And about the the song this movie ends on, I said this is a Bonnie Tyler and a Meatloaf song smashed together. <laughs> yes, it is. Like, that's just in my notes. Like that's all he does. That's all Jim so Steinman's every single song is is exactly exactly that. And he he did the opening and closing numbers to this, and they they don't play them in their entirety, but they they still take seven minutes each. So yeah, <laughs> God, the one at the end is so good. Like it's, it's legitimately really amazing. Good. It's so weird it's it wasn't a hit. Maybe it was like five or six years too late, but that should have been the most over like performed karaoke song. Like that should be ending every American Idol season. It's just this amazing, powerful song about like just sort of nothing about sort of being young. Oh yes! Oh, yes. so good so Fuck yes that's that like 1.2 meatloafs never stop <laughs> never stop climaxing <laughs> it every, just climaxes and climaxes <laughs> every 30 seconds 
that's the thing about a meatloaf song is he'll stop and like level with you. He's like, oh, okay, okay. And then it comes back. And, but this is just, it just keeps going and going. And that, I think I played, I think that's a 30 second clip. It's, it feels like two hours in a great yeah. way, in a great in way. A great it feels way. like every, every Jim Steinman song you listen to, it feels like you've just done something. Like I, I just listened to the song. And I'm like, shit, I'm exhausted. I felt like I just got a tre- I got off a treadmill. Like when I heard it, I was like, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I'm done. I was I'm like done. legitimately pumped hearing that song. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like I leave because I've seen this movie a few times and I always leave it in such a good mood, and that's gotta be it. Because there's a couple points in the movie where it drags a little. Yeah. But then it ends with that fucking song. And it, it, it ends with that song and Tom Cody just disappearing from yeah. the movie and uh Hollywood <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, he's got that dude has so many credits, but like after this, it's just all like fucking space vampires and dinosaur <laughs> scoundrels. It's just fucking this fucking guy. Like no one gave him a shot except for Walter Hill. And even then, like the interviews I read, like they didn't get along. They like, hated I don't, him. And here's, yeah. a, here's a quote from one of the producers, Larry Gross, who says, we all knew in our hearts that Michael was disappointing. Oh, <laughs> but we felt that we had compensated adequately in making this fun, exciting, stylized world. So they, they viewed him as so disappointing they had to make the rest yeah. of the movie good to try to make up for him. They just I really feel like he did a good job in this movie. Like watching this, you wouldn't know he wasn't a great actor because he he fits that that snappy dialogue so well. I think he fits it way better than Rick Moranis did. Like yeah. the way that uh, you know. I say a thing and you say a thing and I say, you know, you, well, you know what I'm talking about. I feel like his level of acting is, is perfect for this. Uh, anyway, it's a perfect I, movie. See, for I him. think Rick Moranis whipped ass in this though. Like maybe, sure. maybe he didn't belong as much as the other characters, but he was just a savage little goblin. And uh, Rick Moranis <laughs> is, is Ellen's uh, new boyfriend and kind of a corrupt promoter character. Uh, but he's also Tom Cody's cuck. All right. Sorry. I just, I... <laughs> That's and, very and, true. And yes, and yes, he is part of a cult holding fetish with Tom <laughs> Cody. Uh, so he's he's in to get Ellen back, and he joins in forcibly with uh, with Tom Cody and uh, McCoy, who is the mechanic, because we need we need a mechanic. This is the 1980s. You need a wheelman, yeah, no, a wheelman and a mechanic, and an so all she, purpose. You probably have this in your notes, but she was supposed to be an overweight like like former soldier just looking for a job, like a down on his luck dude. And I love that they and... didn't change a single thing about that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they had to have because there's a lot of uh, time spent explaining why she isn't fucking Tom Cody. Like there's at least 20 lines of this movie that are like, okay, audience, I know <laughs> Tom Cody should be fucking her by now, but here's why he's not. <laughs> so yeah, he meets he meets McCoy, who is a very tomboyish ex-soldier and wheelman and mechanic and uh heavily implied gay heavily implied gay they do try to walk that back at the end which says oh the guy the person i've been talking about where i've been saying person this whole time was a man you're like no i know what you're doing i know what you did what you had to do here she may have an ex and then but when she talks about the ex she goes but that was before i was a soldier and she kind of says it weird and it's like okay this is like a euphemism (laughs) so that's in 1984 that's our crew. That's our cast of characters. You would put your quarter in and choose between Rick yes. Moranis in his checkered suit and checkered bow tie. Different checkers. Uh, McCoy, the, the badass soldier, and Tom Cody uh, in his duster and generic brawling. 
Rick I want to talk about McCoy getting introduced in this movie because uh, she's just kind of this cranky lady at the bar and Tom Cody's not, not quite hitting on her. But then Bill Paxton is the bartender and he's like, hey, can you even pay for those drinks? And then he's like, she's like, yeah, I can. And she puts like a, some change on the bar because, again, the money in this movie doesn't make any sense uh, because you can't tell if it's 1950 or a different universe. And then he goes, well, I don't like your face. And she fucking punches him out, goes behind the bar, steals a bottle of tequila, and they take off. And that's, I'm like, that's two times Paxton is down now. And it's yes. where it's still in the first, I want to say, 10 minutes of the movie. He's the only person who's been ki- who's been taken out by a Terminator, Predator, and a McCoy. So, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and Tom, this is all Tom needs to see. Like, you're on the team. You can knock Bill Paxton out with one punch. Uh <laughs> This is great. They they go pick up generic weapons from a mechanic, which is an insane decision. Like they, they right. wander up to a garage and the mechanic opens a, a trunk full of weapons because this movie has to just keep you unmoored, like off off your off balance the entire time. You never know where anything is coming from. Things just pop open and shoot out guns. And they meet with Billy Fish, Rick Moranis to get cash for for paying Ellen's you know ransom. I thought the cash was just so Tom Cody was, he was like a mercenary. He's like, like overhead or something. Yeah. I'm going to go rescue Diane Lane. Uh, and he's like, okay, I'll give you $10,000. Oh, you're right. You're right. He, he was get the cash for him and he would go do it. Oh, yeah. that's, and then that's he gave, better. he was going to give 10% to McCoy. Like McCoy's in this as a, not a full partner as like a, she gets $1,000. Uh, <laughs> Which if this is 1950 is a million dollars. They talk about that 10 grand. Like it is fucking like, Fuck you money, like retire on an island money. <laughs> you could probably buy like three Isuzu's back then for that price, for that That's 10, in the 80s. So. And considering this might even be the 20s, we don't know. <laughs> like, we have no yeah. idea that that could literally be a million dollars. Rick Moranis talks about it like he owns them. He's like, dude, I am paying you $10,000. Like, like he, it must come up six, seven times that like, that this is like, I own you money. You don't ask questions when you're getting this kind of cash. Apparently, that's just how he was. Like, even on the set. See, I also thought he was just a genuinely... I thought Rick Moranis was the kind of guy he looks like. He was just like, oh, I know exactly who that guy is, just taking a look at him. What a nice man. And uh, apparently, he just relentlessly harassed Michael Pare to the point that he that he blames Rick Moranis for his lackluster performance here, which I'm with you, Sean. I don't really see, but... Michael Pyre says, Rick Moranis drove me out of my mind. In the real world, if someone insults you a couple of times, you can punch him. You can't do that on a movie set. He's just this weird looking little guy who couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a fistful of 50s, but he would imitate me. And this is such a power move. The first the first thing he says to me is, do you just act cool or are you really cool? That's the first sentence out of his mouth to me. God damn, just cratered. It's just. amazing he didn't catch a coat rack, to be honest. <laughs> just demolished. And Michael Perry, for his part, makes it seem like I was so psychologically oppressed by Rick Moranis's <laughs> savage, savage opener. Do you just act cool or are you really cool? And that he couldn't act in this movie. And that's why the movie was destroyed. <laughs> he just blames him, <laughs> blames Rick Moranis for for that's psychologically amazing. dominating him from from the Michael Perret. I mean that. I guess he kind of has this in the movie, but that interview, he carries like real like high school bully energy. Like how how is this guy talking shit at me? Because I'm more handsome. I could punch him in the face. <laughs> like it just it doesn't make sense to him. He's like I was the fucking football captain. Ah, oh, 
Yeah, he's definitely got this like, I I came in here as like the quarterback. I don't understand why this doesn't work on high school rules. <laughs> and like he was so he was so just thrown by Rick Moranis having confidence. He's like, What look at you? I should be beating you up. Right? We all agree. We all agree. That's what in real life you can just beat people up, right? Not like a movie set where you have to not beat people up. Well, then he's got Lone Wolf, uh, Walter Hill bossing him yeah. around. He's, he's probably like waking up every day with Walter Hill's got a gun in his face. <laughs> Walter Hill probably beat up four people on the way there. Walter Hill's like, hey, this is fucking real world here, Michael. If you want to beat up Rick Moranis, fucking make your move. <laughs> we'll all respect it. <laughs> But he never did. <laughs> yeah. I just think, but you were talking like his his quote unquote career. Um, I just think it was interesting though. He's actually in a show called Houston Nights with uh, Swan from the Warriors. Okay, so there's like there was kind of a connection. So I bet both those guys are like, man, Walter Hill's the best. He gave us the, the perfect, amazing opportunity, masterpiece films, and then we just didn't do anything with our careers. <laughs> I think it's more like they worked on a Walter Hill movie and he, much like Rick Moranis, just psychologically destroyed them. <laughs> so they have no idea what they're doing anymore. They came in there full of confidence, the quarterbacks of their lives, and Mike yep. Walter Hill was just just put a boot on their neck. <laughs> Am I nothing? <laughs> it, it, did it turn out I'm nothing? Oh, no. All right, let's get back to the movie. Uh, so we've got our team. Everybody assembles. We've got McCoy. We've got Rick Moranis, who's Billy Fish, and Tom Cody. God, these are the best names. These are definitely, look, this is all a Western movie, but these are definitely yeah. the names a Japanese dev team came up with to sound Western. Yeah. <laughs> it's real video game friendly. Like, they all fit in five characters. Sleeve McDykel. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from that baseball game? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Bobs and Dugnut. <laughs> Dugnut is the fucking best. <laughs> so we, there's like a cutscene where we move between levels. The next one is a bar in a factory. Uh, I, Did they, I think there was a music video in here somewhere too. Like sometimes the mo- movie will just cut to a Diane Lane music video. Yeah. Which well, so I this, really that's appreciate. actually, I think that's later after she's like when she's sad. So, she, I mean, she's, okay. she's, I think she's still, she's still tied to something. So she can't perform just right now. I think, right. I don't think to, it was a performance. I think it was like a flashback to like a concert or something. Like, no, like you're thinking of the bad like, guys listening to the music in the factory. This is the factory that we go to. And there's a okay. bar inside the factory because, again, this is yeah. all just, you know, seven my notes through time that there's the music video before he even got the guns. So, like, we're jumping around a little. I guess in my notes. I but, don't even uh, remember that one. I remember the yeah, bad guys who listen to fucking swing music and he's singing, literally he's singing about all the studs in his neighborhood while some guy plays well, I, thought that was, I thought that was interesting because they wouldn't like McCoy, they dance around. But the, mm. the performer at the bar, I'm like, this is very progressive in some way, shape or form. I'm not sure how. <laughs> but for an 80s movie to not like be like overly sexy or, or like, you know, like just typical TNA kind of stuff. Right. And they're, the individual performs I'm like this is interesting and for the time i was like i don't really i'm not gonna i really shouldn't you know figure I, i'm not gonna guess but she was a real boyish woman for sure very, I thought, very i was like hmm yeah like uh, i looked her up she has like four imdb roles and they're all dancers so she must be like a classically trained dancer that they got so she kind of uh, looks Walter like Hill, face, i think that was what she looks off. like who any elfman <laughs> i guess a little bit <laughs> <laughs> a dark, a dark sexy name. Danny Elfman. <laughs> Song panties, Danny Elfman. There you go. Yeah, that's I don't the name know. of our new band. I don't know how much <laughs> they were dancing around it because Willem Dafoe comes out and we see him, you know, full on for the first time. His name is Raven Shattuck, and he is wearing black rubber overalls and nothing else. 
Yes, and he's, he's going to pick some cranberries out there in the snow. He's just a, a <laughs> nude, all nude hillbilly at a bar full of studs. and Incredible wardrobe. An incredible uh, design for a villain. It's great. And I, what I love here is it reveals there's no fucking plan. He's like got her tied to a bed and he's like, hey, you got to be my girlfriend for a couple weeks. And she's like, what? Like, there's they don't have like like a plan to ransom her or to like have her record a video for them or something. It's just like, we took you because we liked you. <laughs> and what's, and he, no second thing. And he's not going to be canceled. He's not going to uh, be me too because he he's, he's giving consent or he's like waiting for it, which is a very. Right. Yeah. Like it's huh. part of the deal. He's like, we will release you if you be my girlfriend for two weeks. And it's heavily implied there will be some sex stuff, but it's yeah. like Later. not spelled out. Yeah. Yeah. I right. think I would cancel him for that. I would think I think <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Yeah. I think he was trying to. Avoid, I'm not saying he handled it right, Robert. I'm just yeah. saying. He was trying you, not to, you know. I do think tying someone to a bed and saying, uh, we are not going to release you unless you have sex with me. I think there is some coercion in there. Yes. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it could have been worse. I mean. The theme to this movie is we don't have a plan. Because right. the good guys have come to rescue them, our, our fighting crew here, and they don't have anything like a plan. He says, I've got a plan. And then he proceeds to not say anything else. He does not. He, he does not have a plan. He's going to go on the roof. That's his part of the plan. And they're going to go in the front. That's their part of the plan. And oh, well, just big shrug after that. And sure enough, it works out like that. She goes in there, has no idea what she's doing or what she's looking for. She does. McCoy. I, who, I love this plan. Yes. He's well, like, they're also, they're also directed. Rick Moranis, go get the car. You, lady, go figure it out. If you fuck up, I don't care. I don't need either one of you. <laughs> well, they're also like kind of like tipped off to where the bad guys are by right. uh, magic hobo Ed Begley. Yes. Because um, it took me like a minute. I was like, it, it took me a while to actually confirm that was Ed Begley Jr. But I was like, this is just an odd little pop-up guy, I guess. And all Every he says is, you got to keep movie. moving forward. That's the whole point of things. And then he disappears. Very yep. fighting game-like. He's like, he's he- like the arrow that says go. <laughs> he is the he he's tells our them arrow that, that says go. That's a great way to put that. He like emerges from the shadows covered in axle grease and he's like, Hey, are you looking for that lady? And they're like, Actually, yeah. And they're like, Oh, she's in torchies. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, we know. But he's he's just like reassuring <laughs> them that like you're on the right track. Uh and I love it because uh he calls Rick Moranis a shithead, and Rick Moranis is like, Don't call me a shithead. And then they give him some money for the information. And the Rick Moranis, I can't believe I paid him. I already knew they were at Torchies. I am a shithead. <laughs> like, what a movie. He realizes that he's a shithead. That's the end of that interaction, which served no yeah. purpose. And McCoy is also serving no purpose, just wandering around this bar until she gets sexually harassed, which I guess, I guess was the plan. And she yeah. seduces the man into taking to her to a back room where she knocks him out and for no reason. You think it's like to get a key to get information. No, she just wanted to knock him out in a back room. And again, you say that they didn't rewrite the part. This would have been a real weird part <laughs> if McCoy was an overweight middle-aged no, man. No, I looked it up. They didn't rewrite a single thing. <laughs> so like it was just like like a fresh-faced dude who's like, hey, I'm nope. going to come old, make out with me, fella. Old overweight man wanders in here and uh, and seduces <laughs> one of the bike members yes, and has to, has to explain to the audience repeatedly why he's not fucking Tom Cody. <laughs> look, I know, I know, all right? We should be nail- nailing each other. Like, look at us. It's, it's perfectly natural, but I'm sorry. I don't swing like that. We say old, but um, the other weird thing about this movie is no one is over like 25 years old in the whole movie. Right, that's the choice like, that, that they includes the cops. Made. 
Yeah, like it's super weird. Because this is the this is a teenage world. This is just a, a young person's world that he wanted well, to build. Because tonight is what it's like to be young, guys. I mean, exactly. They yeah. spill it right out in the what it means amazing to be young, song. Yeah. Warriors was like that too, I guess. Like it's just a whole world of children. <laughs> Walter Hill really just was doing Lord of the Flies in every movie. Every movie should be this. This is an amazing premise for a movie. So it's Lord of the Flies meets Double Dragon. <laughs> So McCoy, having done all these things for no reason, stumbles across Raven and holds him at gunpoint for with no plan. Uh, Ellen is not here in the room. She doesn't ask for anything. She just holds them at gunpoint. And we all stand there a little bit confused until Tom Cody up on the roof shoots a motorcycle with one shot and it explodes. And then he shoots three more motorcycles with one shot apiece. Each explodes. Fuck yes. (laughs) Fucking so perfect. I love it. He's just one by one murdering all these gang members, which I think like he just went to the roof and started killing them with a gun. And I think it's crazy. No one else thought of this, like all the other gangs, like none of them thought, hey, we should get on the roof and kill them with guns. If you shoot a motorcycle, it explodes. I don't know what we're doing. Not shooting all of these motorcycles. It's so easy. (laughs) Scene rules. It rules so hard. (laughs) It's it's a great scene. They get Ellen back despite having no plan because the the bad guys also had no plan. Nobody knows what they're doing because as we've established, they're all 19. They're just like, fuck, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Did you see... Did you see the filmmaking when Tom Cody comes in to like cut Diane Lane out of her uh, restraints? He pulls out the knife. It's, it's like jump cut, jump cut, and they're out. It's just like, he's not like, hey, it's me. Oh, wow, it's you. What are you doing here? I came here to rescue you. It's just fucking like none of it. Not a word. Uh, in between, yeah, filmmaking. it's just the brief cut scene in between levels. Well, I think I think a lot of his films like have they have that kind of organic feel. That's what that's what, it makes it feel mm-hmm. like it's closer. Not you know, it's, of course it's not reality, but it's a little closer to it. Then it doesn't try, try to take you out of the movie by giving a speech right then. Yeah, but I still think if like your ex boyfriend came running into the room while you're tied to a bed <laughs> after you heard 15 explosions and he's holding a knife, you'd like, oh hi, uh, Tom. Yeah. Wow, are you here to rescue me? Whoa, that's great. like nothing. Just well, nowadays, like, if nope, there was like like esque dialogue, he'd be like, "Oh, they paid me ten thousand dollars." She's like, "Oh, I'm only worth ten thousand And then there'd be like a whole like joke fest. Oh my god, you're right. This would be fucking insufferable if Joss Whedon <laughs> or <laughs> she just knows it's Tom Cody. Like she heard fifteen rapid yes. explosions and it's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> that's that's the best interpretation. Down. That's the way to read this art. That's Absolutely. that's how. Tom speaks. That was his language. That was his love language was 15 rapid <laughs> motorcycle explosions. The first few explosions, she was like, eh, I don't know if that's him. Like 15 points. She's like, oh, it's Tom. It's oh, Tom. I know. I know. This Tom. is this is how Tom says I love you. <laughs> I know that series of explosions anyway. <laughs> so She's like uh, watching the end of Caddyshack. She's like, is Tom here? Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Nope, that's Kenny Loggins. <laughs> God damn it. There's another there's another great moment here to cap the scene where he Tom's tells them, get in that car and take off. And so they do, and they're like, What are you gonna do? And he's like, Ah, I'm just gonna do some brawling. <laughs> it just, he just uh, yeah. turns around just... and just he keeps brawling. Like they take off in the car. He's not nobody knows it's them, nobody's chase, nobody gives chase or tries to. He just yeah. like turns around and shoots another guy and like knocks some motherfuckers out and blows up some shit. It's just you know what this is? He knows a boss fight's coming up. He's going to grind out a couple levels. <laughs> that's exactly. He found it. 
you find a really easy easy cheat code like these guys well, explode the, in one shot it's i don't think the film has a lift sequence so it had to have this instead exactly or circus as we discussed before so. <laughs> there's they, a couple uh what i love is rick moranis actually did his part he comes with the car and picks him up and for a couple seconds he was ghostbusters moranis like he's like boy i'm glad to see you guys <gasps> there's a bear in my apartment you'll perish in flames <laughs> like he's, he's talking like that i loved it and then he puts his hard ass rick moranis on yeah which i i Man, I didn't think I could like a Rick Moranis more than than default Rick Moranis, but I like hard ass Rick Moranis a little bit more. I like uh, tough guy Rick. I also like that these guys, their bar had like this fucking like oil rig outside. So Tom like loosens the thing, it gets gasoline on everything, shoots it with a gun, explodes the whole thing. And what's fucking great about this is the whole bar is on fire and Willem Dafoe walks out of the flames. Like just like emerges That's- from the just completely fireproof. That's what the overalls yeah. were for. <laughs> yes, flameproof overalls. And he says, "Looks like I finally ran into someone who likes to play as rough as I do." And powerfully erotic. Yes. God, yes. And so Tom's like, "Well, dude, I could just shoot you. I'm the guy holding a gun." And Willem Dafoe at gunpoint says, "I can get guns, smart guy. Lots of them." Like he just has no. F- he knows I'm not going to get shot here in the movie. So they like schedule a showdown for later. He's like, "Hey." You could shoot me now, but wouldn't it be better if we like met during the blood moon for the fate of the world? And he's like, fuck <laughs> yes, Willem Dafoe and leaves. It's perfect well, video it's, game the, logic. It makes it, it makes it very satisfying too. Cause like the, this part, like normally it'd be about, you know, like, you know, going back to like, I don't, I don't know the searchers or something, you know, the whole movie is about trying to find Natalie Wood. And mm-hmm. then eventually they do. That's the end of the movie here. He's already got Natalie Wood halfway through. Yep. And then it's like the second half is about the uh, them coming to him. So it, it works perfectly. Right. You're it trained. would be the 25th guy that he shot. Like there's no right. reason to leave him alive except to set up a, a super showdown later. Yeah. Yeah. We're trained to think this is the end of the movie. Here's the bad guy. Here's the showdown. And then they're like, no, no. What we're going to do is just some sweet shit for another hour. We're an hour <laughs> in the movie. You got, you got an hour left. We're just going to do. We haven't even been to the neon pimp level yet. <laughs> which is when they just they ditch their car for no reason nobody's nobody knows they have it the cops aren't tracking them but it, tom says right we got to ditch this car and then they get in the lift to do the lift sequence rusty mm-hmm. to the neon pimp level oh right. that's true and they really like that um at this point uh rick moranis has learned that this is her ex which is just worst case scenario for your girlfriend's ex yeah, can you like imagine? tom cody is just this sexual dynamo that kills men all day long and uh, Rick Moranis is like trying to like, hey, I'm the fucking coolest. I have the money. And then McCoy like laughs and the, the line is, oh, yeah, I guess the big, tough, good looking guy like you, Cody, don't stand a chance. <laughs> and just like throwing gas on this insecurity fire. I, I loved it. And the, there's there's like this unspoken thing in this dynamic, usually in movies where you have this mute, terrifying barbarian and then this this other guy who's, you know, maybe a little bit insecure and and weaker. And the, the woman is like, no, no, because because I, I'm in love with you, not him. And you don't you can't let your insecurity take you. But Diane Lane, Ellen Aim fucking loves it. Like every time he yeah. blows shit up, she's just like, yes. God damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just like pauses to tell him, Sliding you go on ahead. I'm going to do some brawling. She's just like, oh, fuck you, Rick Moranis. Oh, loosening her bra. <laughs> just holding him by the neck going, eat shit, Rick Moranis. Look at that man. <laughs> Uh, and they cut to a music video in my notes. Yeah, uh, here's here's the sad music video. Yep, this and, is the one I think uh, Stevie Nicks wrote because I, I was looking at the credits of it. It's like because there's a point in the song where like she's you know she's talking about how she's tired and sad, but then she mm-hmm. says 
sorcerer who is the master and that stopped me in my, my tracks <laughs> that's some stevie like, nicks shit well i gotta I see like, who wrote this i was like whoa, 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 whoa hold on because I, w- I was discussing before uh before we started recording the show i was like it, it feels like a lot of songs were written during a dungeons and dragons session mm-hmm. and then the they realized they are. had to write a pop song mm-hmm. right because and that's like every, every, love. every yeah. love song every jim steinman song is a dungeons and dragons section session where you're trying to bang every player playing <laughs> <laughs> that's just how we write songs so the neon pimp level is uh, a massive colorful neighborhood just standing room only the entire neighborhood with sex workers just 400 colorful sex workers jammed into a single city block it's never explained like there's a parade or something they just are they can't even move for the density of prostitutes on this block of course they accidentally costumes and the extras it must have cost more than the tarp to get all these people in all these costumes can you imagine if it didn't (laughs) <laughs> if, if all of these people are like looking up, up at the tarp being like 1.2 million dollars huh? how much are you getting paid you're getting mad. paid i just i just get to be of course they accidentally recruit a prostitute uh i don't know how you would come out of this scenario without one yeah, just no way <laughs> she adds nothing to the party and never pretends to and i love her <laughs> she's Isn't her name like daily i think baby doll Something like that. She never like has an ad, a value add. She's just like, "Hey, uh, I'm coming." And they're like, "All right, fuck, I guess." Better come in handy. <laughs> have have a spare prostitute here. They they <laughs> then hijack a bus full of the Sorels, which is a Supremes like band, and they add them to the party. <laughs> so now our yeah. party consists <laughs> consists of Rick Moranis, Tom Cody, a maniac barbarian, Ellen Aim, the like rock god. Uh, McCoy, the lesbian band. soldier, a prostitute we've just picked up, and an entire uh, doo-wop band. <laughs> I love it. And they stop to sing. They do like an educational romantic doo-wop song. Uh, and they're all, even Rick Moranis is moved by it. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it's Robert Townsend and yeah. uh, what's his name? Michael from uh, Bubble. Yeah, yeah, from Forrest Gump. Yeah, this is like when like the like the character actor like cameo part just goes off the hinge because because yes. EG Daily of course from she was a PB's Big Adventure she's uh-huh. also like a Tommy Pickles on Rugrats and all that then you've got these two then when the cops come on one of we were discussing before uh, the guy from They Live yeah uh, Peter Scott I think yeah. is his name just amazing every every face you see in this movie and there's thousands of them is like they all went on to have huge careers except, except for, the for the lead <laughs> except for the lead guy <laughs> who went the kiss of death to be the main character in a, one of these movies who went yeah. on to be in the sequel to this movie which is the worst thing i've ever seen he even came back to the point of his destruction and humiliation to make a terrible movie anyway and it was set in dinosaur space it was a <laughs> not a great choice so they've 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 stolen this entire doo-wop band and their bus they're trying to drive their bus back to their home neighborhood which is crazy because they had a car just a minute ago and left it but now apparently the bus is great until it's not until they run into a roadblock by the cops uh almost immediately and one of my favorite scenes here is billy fish rick moranis says this is my specialty the talking let me talk us out of it and he gets up there and he tries to buy off the cops and then they take his money and say, you know what? Fuck you. So he immediately <laughs> fails in front of his girlfriend yeah. with Tom Cody watching after calling his shot. It's just the most you can see a man devastated outside of just being blown in half. Like this is this is the talking equivalent of getting blown in half. It bothers him more than his girl being stolen, like in front of him. 
Yeah, he's humiliated. He gets some back because uh, his girlfriend does actually say literally, I hate you, Tom Cody, for taking money to save me. And that's got like Rick Moranis is like, okay, she's on my side again. Because the, the whole time Rick Moranis is trying to like, that's the wedge he's trying to drive between them. He's like, hey, yeah, oh, he's your ex-boyfriend? Because he took money to save you. He's like only here for the money. And uh, it was tough to like make that work. Like I could tell the movie really wanted me to think like he's a terrible person for that. But I'm also like, well, I mean, if he's a mercenary and she's his ex, that seems kind of reasonable, right? Yeah. Had to buy a lot of guns and pay this this lesbian soldier. You got to have one. <laughs> I agree. I but it's also it. hard to get it's hard to get a handle on the rules in this universe. It's such a weird world. So like once they de- dedicated a couple lines to him, like, okay, this is reprehensible what he's doing. Apparently. And, apparently yeah, this apparently. is the line. So it, like, as, as I think I think Billy Fish and McCoy have more chemistry than than Billy That's true. and Eileen. Because like do. every other like, every interaction they have is just noir quipping back and forth. And it, it's it's mm-hmm. excellent. But it's also kind of like these two should get a room. I don't, I think, I, I don't think I don't, if you had Diane, I don't think Diane Lane knew she was in a movie with Rick Moranis the entire time. Like they're, they're so distant the entire time. I don't think she makes eye contact with him. No, right. I think, I think she's just, maybe it's, Tom. it's Walter Hill direction, or maybe it's just natural Tom Cody-ness, but she's just staring at, at Tom Cody the entire time. She's looking for a guy with ping pong balls on in like a, a jumpsuit. Like she thinks she's going to see, they're going to CG Billy Fish in later, like the Hulk. <laughs> No, uh, no, he was there in person. <laughs> he was there. They touched lips. That's uh, I think that's the best way to describe their on-screen kiss. Yeah. This was um you probably have this in your notes Brockway, but they offered this role to Tom Cruise and he uh had a scheduling conflict, probably Top Gun, which was a great choice, but uh Patrick Swayze and Eric Roberts were the other uh Tom Cody possibilities and all would have been Perret. better. It's true. I don't think he did a bad job, but somebody with personality, with like an actual personality, <laughs> could have really taken this to the next level. Because he's he's yeah. just, he's Tom Cody and nothing but. Like, I'm here to fucking say these lines and blow this shit up. Speaking of, you'll never believe me if you haven't seen this movie, but they just get off the bus, Tom and McCoy, and have a bonus level to see who can explode more cop cars with a single shot. <laughs> they just stand out there like for no reason, like, let's blow up some cop cars and just Why not? one shot every single one. And then they dump the bus, too, for no reason. Again, no specified reason. They just, it's, it's become too easy. It's like they're struggling against the movie, making this easy for them. They're like, ah, we're just blowing cop cars up. We just blew up an entire roadblock. And I'm like, there's no challenge to this. We have 45 minutes left. Let's dump the bus. <laughs> there's a scene I really like with the cops. Cause after, uh, Tom Cody's girlfriend tells him off and leaves the cops like, uh, she fucking hates you, dude. And he goes, you catch on real quick. And then the cop's response to that is, and I get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he literally hasn't done anything the whole movie and uh, never does. And it's fantastic. I think it's such a weird I think he's being reaction. sarcastic about himself. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> but uh, then speaking of the cops, the next thing that happens is Willem Dafoe is like talking to the cops and he's like, okay, here's the plan. I'll come into town with just two of my guys. You guys leave us alone so I can face Tom Cody in Mortal Kombat in the streets. And, <laughs> and it'll be fucking super that, sweet. Yeah. And I, the cops are like, oh, shit, I guess we have to do it because you're like super tough. Uh, he convinces them that it would be totally rad. And they're like, <laughs> God damn it. He's right. I mean, there's going to be he's a strict. huge loss of life. And this is against everything we believe in. But it's going to be really cool. But here's the thing. The cops even fuck that up because the cop goes straight to Tom Cody, and he's like, Raven says he has to face you alone. 
So get out of town so they don't so you and he don't destroy the entire town with your mortal combat. And uh so that's like how this movie works. That's the rules of this universe. Uh Tom like wins his girlfriend back because he goes to Rick Moranis. He's like, fuck you, fuck your money, fuck your attitude. <laughs> And uh, throws the money in his face. He takes the $1,000 that he owes to McCoy, but throws the other nine back uh, just to let Diane Lane know, I did this for you, officially. It seems then, like, because um, he grabs it at first. He takes it and he's like heading for the yep. door and then she says something to him about it. She says like, I hate you for doing this. And mm-hmm. then he throws, so he's just impulsively like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, he's just, as soon as he's at that door, he's like, God damn it. Oh, it's fucking, oh I never think anything. Come on, Tom. Uh, so they go in the rain and they kiss and they have uh, 50s guitar. They cut to the some very wet sex. Uh, it, it's I think they're still wet from the rain. Maybe it's sweat. I don't know. I bet Tom Cody just goes for hours. So this is probably like seven <laughs> days later. Uh, there's no explanation for where we went for two years. Like we started to get their history here. She's like, you left me for two years. Never said why. You never wrote me a letter. I have no idea what the rules are in this universe or the backstory of these characters. Um but they're finally they're finally together. They finally made it. So of course it's time for Tom to break up with her for an unspecified yes. reason. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, so yes, it's puts... out, out, after the sex scene. He's like, "Oh, this isn't gonna work." Well, I was, I was back up for just a second. I was gonna say too. I think like if once he did leave, when he after he gave Rick Moran the money back, he was thinking like how close he would have been to buying a tarp because he was yeah. already ten thousand. God, God that's tarp, tarp money, money I just threw away. Oh, I was so close to get that tarp. I could have tarped this whole town. God damn it. (laughs) Built myself a bird army. So he puts uh, the women on a train. He gets McCoy and and, uh, Diane Lane. He puts them on a train and then he ditches them. He 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 gets off the train. Not before before punching Ellen full in the face, which I would argue was unnecessary. since He had already kind of broken up with her in a way that she understood. And then it's like, all right, well, you're on the train. Time to punch you full in the fucking face. <laughs> so when I was, earlier when I was saying Willem Dafoe, you know, I, I was kind of on the fence about that. I wasn't trying to excuse Willem Dafoe's actions. I just want to make sure 100% clear it was not right that Tom Cody punched a woman. I, I just want to say that. So yeah, make sure, the good sure guy in your movie yeah, should not Rusty's punch one out of good guys. I just want to clarify that. So. Right, but he has to get back because he knows this fucking sweet ass fight is waiting for him. Yes. Raven uh, shows up the next morning with two mini bosses by his side. And then blows an air horn to summon all 800 of his gang. Yeah. And the cops are like, they Leather try to daddies, stop him. As far as the eye can see. The cops are stunned. They're like, wait a yeah. minute. You didn't come alone. What? <laughs> they were not prepared for, for a criminal to lie to them in any way, shape or form. God, they're the worst. Rick Moranis has Pesci a moment. Looking, uh, like henchman uh, he has yeah. is actually leaving from uh, Fear, the punk rock band. Okay. I was like, that's kind of a neat little guy. He, he's also, I think he's Mr. Body and Clue as well, too. So again, too, I, I, I wrote every little cameo I saw. So Yeah. They were so, yeah, they're everywhere. They were so yeah. many. His name is Lee Ving. Lee, V-I-N-G. Yeah, I'm sure it's like, like yeah, Jill it's and or something. Name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Again, too, I'm, I, I professionally received W9s as a Rusty Shackle, so I'm not going to question anybody's names. That's <laughs> not your real name? <laughs> Gasp! <laughs> I, feel I do like there's a showdown between like 9,000 bikers and five cops. And then Rick Moranis is like, I got this. I'm the <laughs> fucking talker. He runs the center. He's like, you get out of here. Raven, he just fucking 
punched out. He might be dead. Yeah, like, he's murdered right there. He's like the way he falls through the back of his head. So funny. What I love about that is that Bill Paxton is the one to catch him instantly, as though he knows, like, oh, I can recognize this when outside of myself. <laughs> yes, he's about to get knocked the fuck out with one punch. I'm here for you, buddy. Catches him instantly yeah. and just whisks him away in this like practice movement of like he's he's on <laughs> he's on whisking away dead Rick Moranis duty. <laughs> Anyway, then, uh, Tom shows yeah, Tom up. Come. Yeah, and he's just like, "Well, my plan went to shit," and, <laughs> and the cops like, "Yeah, yeah, we don't got <laughs> that's this." The, that's really what he says. <laughs> that's really he says. My plan went to shit. My plan to stand here with two cops and try to arrest this guy was it. I wrote down the quote from the cop. He says, well, my plan went to shit. Let's see how you do. And Kick his ass. <laughs> That's word for word what the cop says. Everything that follows is the best thing that could possibly happen <laughs> because the entire neighborhood gets guns and runs up. And then you're like, but this is going to be a war. And they see what's going on and, and they just immediately stop and are like, oh, okay, is this a fight? And then Raven and his boys bring out sledgehammers. It's a fucking <laughs> sledgehammer duel. And instantly yeah. all pretense of this being an inter-neighborhood war is dropped because everybody just wants to watch this. Like yeah. they ran up ready to fight. And then as soon as those sledgehammers came out, everybody puts the guns on their shoulder and is like, oh, well, hell yeah. 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 And Let's it was a Willem Dafoe's choice. Like he, it was like, he, he it was like, he's a sledgehammer specialist, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is a boss from Combat Tribes, which is one of my favorite yeah. games of all time. How could it not be? Yeah, <laughs> I would argue. I would argue this is a boss from Combat Tribes right here in this movie. This is probably what is said in the script. Yep, this is the boss from oh, Combat Tribes. This will all make sense in a few years. It's so good. I love it because they're. It's kind of like they're sledgehammers, but they kind of come to a pickaxe point on one end. Are they like railroad and, ones or something? Maybe. I was yeah, they're like. That. I think they're railroad hammers. Yeah. Uh, and so when they're having their fight, like the cop wasn't crazy. Like every time they miss, they're like taking a chunk out of the city, and like they're destroying cars. And uh, it all comes down to a test of strength at the end, and Willem Dafoe loses. And it's like, oh, it's over. But no, Willem Dafoe's like, fists! And so now it's like a they live fight. It's crazy. Like they're just landing shot after shot on each other. Willem should be dead several times over. Uh, and he's still standing after just. Also, it should be noted all of this takes place in a loose pile of motorcycles. Like all of his, every single one of his gang members left their motorcycles there. So this fist fight, this massive sprawling fist fight is just all the way over about 15 motorcycles. And they're just flying all over the place. Sprawling the bikers too. They're, They're like obstacles. They're like things to throw people through in a, in a fighting game level. Like you do extra damage if you throw them through a biker. <laughs> of course, Raven eventually gets exhausted and Tom Cody just pushes him over. That's how you win a fight in this movie. Everybody knew it's not going to be bashing his head in with a sledgehammer. Yeah. It's going to be the old pushover. Well, in the original script, uh, he stabbed him to death with a knife. <laughs> that gets a little that's real. <laughs> yeah, that's real. <laughs> <laughs> that gets a little intense. Like I, that doesn't feel like a Tom Cody movie. He likes the fire. This so guy's much. exhausted. Well, let's get to stabbing. <laughs> Ain't gonna stab himself. But, am I right? <laughs> the bikers, the the Joe Pesci guy leaving. He's like, let's get out of here. And they just take him. There's no arrests. The cops aren't like, hey, no, leave that one. We're going to arrest him. They're like, no, we're we're all going home, cops. Because the whole premise of this, that they lured him here to arrest him. But then as soon as he got his ass kicked, they're like, oh, well, that was a fucking sweet hammer fight. You got (laughs) to, the law says, if you do a sweet (laughs) hammer fight, you get Mm -hmm. to go home. 
I'm not trying to like improve on a masterpiece. I'm not trying to like, you know, add a little bit of color to a Van Gogh, but I do think it would have been fantastic if Willem Dafoe had started flashing red towards the end. Yeah. I just agree. To sell the, just to sell the entire thing. Just to let us know he's, yes. he's getting near yeah. to death. Uh, this took a month to shoot. I looked it up uh, because it's such a huge scene with so many extras and there's, cause there's a million camera cuts. Uh, like you and they live, I guess it was more of a pro wrestling fight where they uh, there was a lot of long shots in that fight. Whereas this is just like punch and that's its own shot and then uppercut. It's its own shot. Throw through a motorcycle. It's its own shot. So there was so many camera setups that this did take four weeks to finish. Can you and imagine that showing up every day and being like, well, it's your job to swing this fucking sledgehammer for 12 hours today. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Well, I was in a chain gang for seven years, so I do actually. Thanks for bringing back those memories. What are you going to fucking say to Walter Hill? <laughs> You're not going to say shit. Yes, sir, Mr. Lone Wolf. Sorry, Mr. Lone Wolf. Look at the if back you of the chair. sledgehammer at him, he would just instantly block it. He was in there showing them like, well, here's how yeah. we used to sledgehammer fight when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't know. You kids probably have your own moves now, but these are the old classics. <laughs> so it's the end of the movie. We've defeated, I guess, defeated the bad guy. He's not going to come back for some reason. He, he's he been beaten in Hammer Fight, the traditional honorable way to beat a villain. And uh, the big concert, LNA is performing. Tom Cody's watching. Rick Moranis sidles up to him and, and is just like, ah, I know how it is with you and my girlfriend. Like, <laughs> yeah, what, am I, what am I going to do? I'm Rick Moranis over here. And Cody yeah. is still just There's... like, no, I'm leaving. I don't want this anymore. <laughs> What? Rick, he can't talk someone into taking his girlfriend. <laughs> he tried. He gave it his Double best humiliated. shot. <laughs> and he, what Tom Cody says is, she's used to me being unreliable. You're okay with words. You'll make her feel better about me than I could. <laughs> and just wanders away. So now it's up to Rick Moranis to break up with his own girlfriend on behalf of Tom <laughs> Cody. Which is, and then I assume accept her back, which is the most cuckolded thing you this can do. This is a hashtag on some site somewhere. Yeah, this is, this is so some embarrassing. Really dark stuff. It's a One of our listeners has a huge yeah. boner right now. <laughs> it's just the most domination you can inflict on a man shaped like Rick Moranis. <laughs> Cody wanders off for no specified reason, just like he does every and anything, but he still runs into Ellen and she's like trying to convince him. And he just goes, you know me. She goes, yeah, I know you're the guy with the right yeah. hook, which is just her admitting you're my punch idiot. I know you, you don't know nothing but the punch and I cannot compete with the punch. I mean, she, yeah. well, she couldn't compete with the punch she earlier when he knocked her out. So yeah, he did sort of explain it well that he's like, Look, you're going to be a big superstar singer, and I am like a gang warrior. I'm not like a fucking sidekick. I'm not going to carry your bags and be your bodyguard. Like, I need to fucking run free. I am a loose barbarian. Hammers. And I need to yeah. wander from town to town destroying things. He didn't want to be like the guy guys. before Kevin Federline, like whoever that was. Because he's a, a gang war karate man. Guys, the gang war karate man, Kevin Federline. <laughs> Before him, though. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, no, that dude. Wait, no, Rusty's right. This is how Kevin Federline pictured himself. <laughs> That's true. Like in, I in guess I head. can settle down with you, Brittany. I guess I'd have to give up all this. <laughs> all, all that I've got by, by my own two hands here. And what's crazy is Kevin Federline had Rick Moranis break up with Britney Spears for him. <laughs> Learned it from uh, that fetish site, yeah. <laughs> 
And then, of course, we end on the best song that's ever been recorded. Uh, oh, I love it. It well, just skip past songs, actually, uh, I, I Can say. Dream About You. Because yeah, the Sorrells sing, they sing oh, I did. Can Dream About You, which was like the breakout hit of the soundtrack. I think the only hit of the soundtrack. Which is insane that it had Tonight Is What It Means To Be Young and uh, I Can Dream About You. Yeah. The breakout I feel like if it was 1979, Tonight Is What It Means yeah. To Be Young would have just fucking crushed it. It is weird, too, because before I saw the movie, I always thought I Can Dream About You was a Hollow Notes song. It was just written for them, but somebody else right. entirely did. I was like, oh, OK, that makes sense. The, the person who wrote it, like it was a whole tiff where like he wrote the song and he was upset that they put it in the soundtrack or in the, in the movie with somebody else singing it. So then oh. he used them like footage of them as the backup band in his own video where he was singing. I was like, OK, this is like getting really <laughs> petty. this is like ultimate warrior petty. Like something's yeah. going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior Petty. <laughs> He's I just, I, had, I don't want to bring wrestling into it, but yeah, he just these weird little grudges. Oh, I gotcha. But yeah, yeah, this tonight is what it means to be young. I've probably mentioned this before on this very show is a very good song. It's like if Bonnie Tyler Meatloaf got put into a weird science computer and they made a girl, <laughs> and that's who Diane Lane embodies, and it's a perfect song. But just... last time we played it, it did break the whole podcast. <laughs> Everybody okay? We, we still here. Everybody still here. We're all still here. Awesome. And we, 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 fucking we live through. That's all. Physically, yeah. I'm still here. Mentally, I'm <laughs> I'm on Saturn and I'm pumping my fist in front of an exploding spaceship. Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. It's a podcast canal. Und mit maximalem Schau. Doc Frankfurt podcast. Correct. Here at 1900 Hot Dog Daycare, we believe every child can be supreme. Now let's meet a few of our precious tots. Three Finger Louie, Aaron Croston, Adrian H, Aiden Mouet. Get well soon, we're all rooting for you. No Alpha Scientist Java, we do not hold the week here. Unandy. Andreas Larson. Badger, Transformers aren't food. No, especially not if you're a Transformer. That's fucked up. Benjamin Sironen. Ben Talzer. Brandon Garlock. Brian Saylor. You need to poke air holes in the Play-Doh mask or this game of Mummy gets way too real. Brienne Whitney. Brockway loves the meat milling. Yes, he does. Burrito Mouth. Cyril, don't touch that. Never touch that. I don't even understand how you're touching that. Rev. Chance McDermott. Chris Brower. Curious Glare. Dan B. The artist formerly known as Devin, sweetie. Knives are for grown-ups and revenge only. Dean Costello. Donald Finney. Dr. Awkward. Eric Spalding. Fancy Shark. Jellahoe. 
Now, see, Greg Cunningham needs those knives for revenge, and now he doesn't have them. Do you see why we saved the knives? Hambone. Haraka. Hot Fart. Very funny. Jaber Al Aiden. James Boyd. Jeff Araski Fire is not your friend. If anything, it's more of a lover. Jeremy Neal. John Dean. John Hector McFarlane. John McCammon. Josh Fabian. Joshua Graves, I don't care how many rats you tied together, you cannot ride them like a magic carpet. Josh S. Ken Paisley. K&M. M. Jahi Chappelle. Matt Riley. Max Baroy, I know you mean well, but what you're doing is called Compromat. Michael Lair. Michael Wells. Mickey Lohman. Mike Stiles. Moju. ND, a smaller child is not a pet, no matter how much they purr. Neil Bailey. Neil Schaefer. Nick Ralston. Ozzy Olman. Patrick Herbst. The Amazing Rain, get your fingers out of there. The Bible strictly forbids it. It's very clear. Rhiannon. Sarkovsky. Sean Chase, don't. Actually, fuck yeah, I think you can make that jump. Let's see it. Spotty Reception. Supernaut. Ted H. Thomas Cavazos, I don't think you can make that jump. But I want nothing more in this world than to be wrong. Let's fucking see it. Timmy Leahy, Toasty God, Tom Sekula, Tommy G, Waylon Russell, Yossarian, Armando Nava, you're, you're actually doing great, Gold Star. Don't, don't attack the other children with the Gold Star.